Hello, little ones. I'm a little one too. Um, here we are. We're all little ones together. And we're little ones because the big one is our Heavenly Father. Um, the disciples came to Jesus and they wanted to know, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I don't know if that, what they're actually asking here. I don't know if they're asking which one of them was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and so they're trying to get a bit of glory for themselves or whether they were thinking, well, maybe Moses or David or Elijah or Elisha. It's all right, James. Yeah, this is exciting, isn't it? Which one of them are the kingdom of heaven? And you know the answer to that and that's why you're so excited. Um, I didn't know whether they were seeking a place of prominence so I don't really know what their question was about, but, I, but Jesus' answer was very clear, and James knows the answer to this. Calling to him a little child, he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? In the eyes of Christ, humility is the highest ranking of virtues. Humility is one of the key marks of being a Christian. And we are to model ourselves on the humility of our Master Jesus Christ. In fact, without humility, we can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, humility begins when we kill off our pride. And we admit that we're not good enough, that we could never be good enough. Humility begins, good morning, humility begins when I admit that I am a dirty, rotten sinner in need of a saviour. That's when humility begins. And for that to happen requires us to actually do what Jesus calls turn. We have to turn. We have to change the way we function. We have to make a conscious decision hey, I've been full of pride. I've been trying to do it my own way for so long and I've got to get rid of that. And so we put off this pride, we leave that behind and then we take up the way of Christ, which is the way of humility. We humble ourselves at the point of conversion when we become a Christian. We have to humble ourselves for that to happen. But remember, Jesus said that we have turned we have to turn. It isn't just a one-off thing that we do. It isn't just a one-off humbling of ourselves to get saved. Jesus said, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We turn from our old way of pride to the new way of humility and we live that way from now on. Yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, we Christians, we get our priorities so wrong sometimes. Um, we always want to look up to the big prominent personalities. We make a big deal of Christians who are sports stars or politicians or business identities or entertainers. We, we make a big deal out of them and, and we try and aspire to that sort of thing ourselves. And you know, we might find ourselves sometimes saying, oh, I'm not very important. I'm not a Billy Graham or a Johnny Cash or a Rebecca St. James or an Amy Grant. I'm not a famous preacher or a well-known personality. Hardly anyone even knows I exist. What, what value am I in the kingdom of heaven? Well, we shouldn't be trying to aspire to any of that sort of stuff. We shouldn't ever be trying to aspire to gaining the attention of men. We need to humble ourselves. And that simply means we just 
put others first. It means I don't stand up for my rights. It means I become a servant to all. Humility is one of the greatest of the Christian values. And yet, how often today do we hear it being taught as something that we should aspire to? In some branches of the church today, they, they really teach the opposite. You know, they teach more the wisdom of psychology than they do the wisdom of God. Uh, they teach empowerment and you need to feel empowered and if at all you feel disempowered, well, that's a really bad thing and we're going to have to correct that. But that's not the way of Christ. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are not those who aspire for power. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are not those who stand up for their rights. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are not those who are getting served, but those who are doing the serving. And so if you want to be a better Christian, if you want to start developing the attributes of God that that are going to bring us a reward when Christ comes in his kingdom, we have to start by being servants. And Jesus said, even if you receive a child in Jesus' name, you receive him. Now, at this point is where Jesus starts to speak of these little ones. And it's easy for us to think, since he's got, brought a child into our midst, that, that into the midst of the disciples, that he's talking about kids. But he's not talking about kids. When he starts talking about these little ones, he makes it clear who he's talking about. He says, these little ones who believe in me. Right? He's talking about his disciples. He's talking about the children of God, you and I. Um, which is why I began the message this morning by saying, hello little ones, I'm a little one too. We are God's little ones. He's our heavenly father, we are his little ones. And as his little ones, we are at his bidding. And as his little ones, those who believe in God, well he cares for us and he sustains us. Just like we care for our children and we provide for them. God does that for us. He loves us. He cares for us. He provides for us all that we need. Okay, so we have to live as little ones, not as big ones, because God is the big one. And at this point, when Jesus starts talking about the little ones, he shifts his his teaching on humility to sharing his concern that he has for his little ones. And his concern for his little ones, for his disciples, for you and I, is that we would continue on in our faith with God. Because there's going to be plenty of stuff that's going to try and distract us along the way. Now, when I began preparing for this message, I I thought that this is going to be a really quick one to prepare because, yeah, we all heard this passage before, we know it pretty well. But but when I actually started reading it, I had a bit of a look at the original language, the Greek, And I discovered something which was pretty important to investigate. The word that the New NIV, the New International Version, and the English Standard Version, they're the two versions I usually read from, um, the word that they translate as sin is not the normal Greek word for sin. The the usual word that they, the Greek word for sin is hamartia, which means to miss the mark. So it's like an archer shooting an arrow at the target but it falls short and it hits the ground before it gets to the target. Now that's what our sin is. We all fall short of God. 
We cannot possibly live up to God. And, and sin, hamartia, is our attitude toward God. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that is used here is scandalon, from which we get our word scandal. Um, and it means offence. Uh, or scandalizo, which means to give offence or to lead astray. And it can be translated as stumbling or to ensnare or a stumbling block. So it's like if I was purposely trying to trip somebody up. Like kids, you know how sometimes you go and you might crouch down behind somebody and then, then somebody else gives them a little push and they go straight over the back of you. Have you ever... No, I haven't put something evil. I've just put an evil thought in your head. Sorry. Um, that's, that's a scandal on. A, a scandalizo. You're, you're causing someone to stumble, causing somebody to trip over. Um, and so I did a bit of a word study to say, okay, well, to see how this word is actually used in the Bible and particularly in Matthew, which we're studying now. And the noun does mean a temptation to sin. But it's more than that. It is an enticement to apostasy and unbelief. Now, that's a big word, apostasy. That's, that's a church word. Apostasy simply means that you started out with a good faith in Christ you, and you've understood at, at, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for your sins and so on and so forth. But then apostasy is when somebody gets into your ear and says, no, you don't really need to believe that. And you stop believing in that sort of stuff. And so you might then just believe, oh, Jesus wasn't God, he was just a good man or something like that. Okay? So that is apostasy. Um, so it can be an enticement to that. Uh, correspondingly, the verb means to lead someone into sin or to give offence. Now, this all means that you can fall away from Christ or you can be misled. It's the same word that Jesus used of Peter when on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter said, Jesus said to Peter, you're going to stumble. You're going to fall. Jesus said, oh, I'm going to stay with you right to the end. And Jesus said, no, you're not. You're going to deny me. And this was the same word that Jesus was using there. And then when Jesus is talking about the great tribulation in Matthew chapter 24, um, he says that they'll deliver you up to tribulation. That means the big trouble, right? So at the end of time, there's going to be a lot of persecution against Christians. He says he's going to deliver you to tribulation, this big trouble, put you to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Doesn't sound like a nice time, does it? And verse 10 he says, and many will fall away. It's that same word again, scandalizo. We'll, we'll scandal on. We'll fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. A few weeks ago we had the parable of the weeds and we saw how at the end of time the angels will come to root out the weeds and be burnt. We had that excellent kid story. You remember that one? Excellent. And, and, and in that Discussion there. Jesus talks about the children of, devil, of the devil who cause people to stumble. Scandalizo. Right? And these people will be punished. And when somebody falls away, it leads to destruction. Now, this is where some people might want to argue with me because there's a teaching out in the church today which is only a couple hundred years ago. Up until a couple hundred years ago, it was never known. But somebody came up 
with this teaching of once saved, always saved. Have you heard of that? Basically it means once you've put your faith in Christ and believe in Christ, you can never fall away. Even if you decide later on, yeah, no, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore, it's like saying, oh, tough, you have to, because, and even if you turn your back on Christ, you're still saved. Now, let me tell you, that's not a biblical teaching, but it is very common today, particularly in strong evangelical churches. Um, the New Testament, though, is full of warnings not to fall away. And we have to hold this as a critical thing, not to fall away, because the consequences of falling away is destruction and the exclusion from Christ's kingdom. Okay, so this offence, this stumbling block, isn't just a temptation to sin. It is a temptation to sin, but it includes this temptation to apostasy, to, to, to lose your faith in Christ, to fall into unbelief. It is to get, get misled by false teachers. It is to deny Christ, possibly under persecution. And Jesus, so Jesus' concern is for his little ones that this wouldn't happen. For you and I, that we would not get led astray. That we would stand firm in our faith and Christ. But he also gives a very big warning to those who would cause the stumbling. If, if someone is a cause of one of Jesus' little ones, his disciples, of sinning or of falling away or of losing their faith or giving up on following Christ, if somebody misleads but with false teaching to cause any of these things to happen or if somebody is the cause of the persecution of, of the church, causing people to fall away from Christ, Jesus says a very... Hard word, he says, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. It would be better for that to happen than for what is going to happen on Judgment Day. Now, that's not my words, that's what Jesus said. Now, that's a hard word. Jesus is greatly concerned for his little ones. Jesus is greatly concerned for you and for me. And we need to, and I, I believe that this is a real pastoral concern. Um, it's not just an airy fairy up in the sky, something that we can't connect with. It's a very pastoral concern that touches us in our daily lives where we are. Um, we need to be encouraging one another, we need to be urging one another on in the faith. We need to be guarding against any false doctrine that might lead people to apostasy. One of the saddest conversations I've ever experienced was when somebody said to me, my faith is very different now to what it used to be. I, I don't believe in the God that I was taught about in Sunday school, he said. And he went on to tell me about the God that he now believes in and he described a God with no power. He described a God who didn't send his son to die for him. He described a God, basically, who was a thing in his own mind of, I just have to be a nice fellow. And I just wanted to cry because someone had led that man astray. And, and I actually know who it was. The person who led them astray was a fellow who was actually an ordained bishop in the Anglican Church in in America Bishop John Shelby Spong and his teaching 
has taken root in the hearts of many. Um, And it's a hard thing to say, but it would be better for him if a millstone was tied to his neck and thrown into the sea than for what will happen. Because with his ideas about Jesus and his silver tongue and clever, clever words, he has led many good Christian people to faithlessness. Woe! When you're reading the Bible and you see that word, woe, be very careful to see what it's talking about because that is saying there is something terrible in store here. Woe to the world for causes of stumbling, for it is necessary that causes of stumbling come, but woe to the person by whom the causes of stumbling comes. And it's not all, only all in their court, there's a responsibility for us as well. He says, and if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Now that's the second time that Matthew has shared these words of Jesus here. Second time that Matthew records Jesus saying this. The first time was back when we were studying the Sermon of the Mount. Do you remember? It was months ago. Um, Now, maybe if Jesus is repeating himself, maybe this is something which is really important that he wants us to know and understand. Or maybe he's making an extra point here. Sin is such a serious matter that any sacrifice is worth making to eliminate it. And following on in your walk with God is so critical that anything or anyone that is going to be a stumbling block to you, some, anything or anyone that, that is going to trip you up in the, your walk with Christ should be eliminated from your life. It is so critical. If you have a friend who's trying to convince you that your Christian faith is a whole load of rubbish, well, if you've got a really strong faith and you can handle that and you can, and you can share your faith with that person, well, that's fine. You keep going. But if you have a friend who's always arguing with you and, and trying to convince you that your Christian faith is a whole load of rubbish and you're starting to find yourself going... They're actually making a good point with that one. If you find yourself ever in that position, you're better off to cut off that friendship than to be misled. Um, Before I left the Uniting Church, I'd begun to question a couple of ministers who I know and I was asking them, why do you continue to allow certain people to run Bible studies in your church? Why do you allow people who don't believe in the resurrection, don't believe in the virgin birth, who don't believe that that Christ died for their sins and through that they're saved, why do you allow people to continue to teach that in your church? This is what, what Jesus is talking about. It's better to cut these things off and it might hurt for a time. But if it is something which is leading his little ones astray, 
He is so concerned about that. Young people, I'm going to talk to you guys now. Um, I want to talk to you about who you date and who you marry. It's probably a little young for this yet, but get this into your head, okay? Jake, get this into your head. (laughs) James, I hope you're listening very well. The Bible is very clear that a Christian should only ever marry another Christian. The purpose of dating is to decide whether the person you're dating is someone who is worth marrying or not, whether it's a suitable life partner for you. Now, if that person is not a Christian, you've already got your answer. No, that's not a person that I should be dating. So don't even begin to date them. And many young people, and I'll be a bit sexist here and say particularly young women, ignore that advice. They okay it in their own minds by saying, well, well, I'm not marrying them, I'm just dating them. But then, of course, it's not very long and they've formed a very strong attachment and bond with this person and they eventually get married. And then in a short time they wonder why their relationship with God just isn't what it should be. They begin to wonder why their children aren't really accepting the Christian faith. They thought that they'd be able to convert their husband or their wife once they got married. But they were wrong. Now, if you marry an unbeliever, this is purposely bringing into your life an enormous stumbling block to your walk with God. For a husband or a wife, you should be looking for someone who can share your faith and uphold you in your faith. And and I talk to married couples here as well. Your husband or your wife should be someone who is always encouraging you and urging you on in your faith. Anything that might cause you to stumble, cut it off. Never even begin to date if they're not a Christian. Cut off that relationship straight away. Because it'll be better for that short-term sadness, which you will get over, than for it to be a stumbling block that might cause you to, to stumble in your faith and be subject to the hell of fire. Jesus is so concerned for his little ones, for his disciples, that there be no stumbling blocks, none for us. Nothing that would make us trip up and fall. Yes, I agree, I agree. And he cares for the weak. Jesus cares for the nobody. Jesus said, see that you do not despise, is the word used, do not despise any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Did you know you have a guardian angel? You do. Sometimes we might think that that's just pop psychology because there's so much stuff out there. But it's true. You have guardian angels. They're there before the throne of of our Father in heaven. And every one of us is so important that if any one of us stumbles in our faith, don't despise that person. Encourage them. Sometimes it's easy, you know, if somebody stumbles in their faith and 
you know, somebody maybe used to come to church, but now they've just really drifted away. It's really easy to go, oh, gee, that hard work. Oh, always having to go and pep them up a little bit or whatever. And, and oh, they're just not worth that effort anymore. You know, they always start the race, but they don't finish it. They're such hard work. Sometimes we can feel like that. I know I can. I'm giving you a confession. Um, don't despise them. Encourage them. Urge one another on. A word which we don't use much in our society today is the word exhort. Um, it means to strongly urge somebody on, to encourage them. Exhortation. Um, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Those are the three things that he's telling him to do, right? You're going to look after this church. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, exhortation and teaching. And that's what we should be about as a church as well. Public reading of Scripture, yep, we do that. Teaching, we're doing that now. How much do we do exhortation? And it's not just for me to do. It's something that we should be doing for each other. Always urging one another on. um, Holding one another to account. So if you've noticed so-and-so hasn't been to church for a while, there's a lot of people to notice today, um, give them a call. Encourage them. If you notice that somebody's been falling away from Christ, uh, sorry, that somebody has been following Christ, but now they seem to be falling away, get alongside them. Bring them back. And in, in Matthew today, we have the story of the lost sheep. Now, I think we probably know the version of Matthew pretty well. In Matthew, sorry, where am I up to? Luke. In Luke, it's about evangelism. The story of the lost sheep is, there's all the lost people out there. We need to go out and evangelise them and bring them back in. That's the story in Luke. But here in Matthew, where Matthew records it, Jesus is talking about Christians. He's talking about Christians who once had faith and a strong faith and were part of fellowship but have started wandering away. And Jesus is saying, everyone, every one of us are precious to him. And his concern for us is so great that he would leave the 99 to go and bring in the one. And that's how he wants us to function. To bring in the one that's wandered off, wandered off. And I would encourage you, when you go home today, to read this story again. Read this passage, Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 14. Read it again, and then pray and ask the Lord, Lord, who's wandered off that you want me to encourage? Who is no longer following you? that you want me to share this story with? Who is it that you want me to invite back? Ask God. And see who comes to mind. See whose name appears in your mind. See whose face you picture in your mind. You might end up with half a dozen faces in your mind that you need to go and visit or just give a phone call and give encouragement to. Because it is not God's will that any of his little ones should perish.
Right? We, we heard some pretty judgmental stuff there, stuff about millstones and, and hellfire. It is not God's will that any, any of his little ones perish. And for us to have a heart like God, we too have to be like the one who is out searching, urging one another on in continued faith. God is greatly concerned for his little ones. So little ones, beware of stumbling blocks and encourage each other. Urge one another on in following Christ. Amen.